Hi, and welcome to Office Hours, the broadcast of Westminster Seminary, California, that takes you inside the seminary. I'm Scott Clark. Today, we're talking with David Zadok, a graduate of Westminster Seminary, California, and Israel Field Director of Christian Witness to Israel. David is an Israeli citizen and a Reformed Christian. He's a retired major in the Israeli army and an elder in Grace and Truth Congregation. He's also the translator of the Heidelberg Catechism into modern Hebrew and helping with a translation of the Heidelberg into Russian. If you want to know more about David's background, listen to the June 21st, 2010 episode of Office Hours at wscal.edu slash officehours. Click on the Office Hours link in the upper right-hand side of the page. Hi, David. And welcome back to Office Hours. Thank you. It's great to be back. Well, since we last were together, what is happening in Israel, and more particularly, what's happening with Hageffen Publishing? Well, in Israel, uh, we don't have ever a moment of dullness, uh, so a lot is happening, and a lot has happened since then. But I think the more uh, encouraging and important thing is, uh, beside a lot of the politics, is uh, what God is doing among the uh, the Jewish people in Israel. And one of the encouraging signs that we are seeing is uh, more openness uh, toward the gospel among the Jewish people, particularly younger uh, Israelis. Last October, just uh, about nine months ago, we did a campaign, evangelistic campaign, with in cooperation with few churches. And in that campaign, we got more than 500 people who called and asked for the New Testament and the evangelistic booklet that we have published. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, 500 people have uh, come to Christ, but nevertheless, the fact that that great number asked for the New Testament and the book we published uh, is a real encouragement. So that's uh, one thing that has been a great uh, encouraging to us, just to starting to see that uh, God is slowly but surely uh, opening a crack uh, in Israel and among uh, the Jewish people there. Getting the New Testament into people's hands in Israel might not sound like a big thing in North America, where a lot of people have access, ready access to the New Testament. They probably have, you know, whole Bibles sitting around in their houses that they probably don't read. But if you were to visit an average Israeli house, you're not likely to find a Hebrew language, New Testament lying around? No, uh, not at all. In fact, in many houses nowadays, you might hardly even find the the Old Testament because uh, many of the Israelis today are very secular. And although they might have uh, uh, studied the the Old Testament in the in the school, which is mandatory, but they really have no thought, no idea of the New Testament. For them, that's something that belongs to the uh, to the Christians, to the Roman Catholics, uh, and uh, and so forth, and not to the uh, Jewish person. When you have an opportunity to talk to an Israeli about the gospel, where do you start? I usually start in Genesis 3. Uh, I think most Israelis know the story, but most Israelis at the same time don't realize the consequences uh, of that sin. Uh, and one of the places that I uh, kind of get them to think is Genesis 3.15, what we often call the Proto-Evangelium. Uh, most people have no idea what that verse is talking about. And so that's usually when we start. And then, of course, we talk about uh, passages like Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 31, 31, where God says, Behold, the days are coming where I would make a new covenant. 
with the house of Israel and house of Jacob. I had cases when when I read those passages to them, uh, some of them feel or believe that I'm reading from the New Testament. And so I asked them to bring their own uh, Old Testament uh, from their own uh, library and to open it. So that just goes to show how much there is a need uh, in bringing the gospel to the Jewish people and how much there is a need uh, for educating uh, the church in that sense, uh, or not the church, but the Jewish people. How has late modern secularism affected Israel? How secular is an average Israeli citizen? Average Israeli is, uh, is probably as secular as most uh, Western uh, uh, countries uh, in, in many ways. Uh, although in Israel, the thing that it might be just a little bit different is that most Israelis who are secular, they still would celebrate the Passover meal and they still might go to synagogue on the Day of Atonement or the Yom Kippur, uh, which basically goes to show that to them, uh, Judaism has become something more of a culture than a faith in the true and the living God. And that is the, the main challenge that we face as the church in Israel is uh, bringing the gospel to the people who have some idea of Judaism, but it's more of a culture than anything else. What is the typical conception of sin? Well, you know, there is a saying that, you know, when you ask two Jewish people for opinion, you get at least three. <laughs> uh, so when it comes to sin, I think average uh, Israeli would consider sin as something that it's only a horrible thing, like a murder, or if you're really uh, a criminal, uh, that's kind of, they see that as a sin. And in general, they since they really don't think much about uh, the heaven and hell, so sin to them, it's nothing more than just uh, living your life in a way that it's not uh, uh, offending to others. Uh, if you can get away with uh, cheating on your taxes and you're not caught, then you've done a good job. And <laughs> So that's mostly the, the concept. They really don't have a, a biblical concept uh, of, uh, of, of sin. So it's not radically different there, from North America in that respect? No, no. In many ways, I often say that bringing the gospel to the Jewish people is, this, in many ways, is the same as bringing the gospel to any other culture, particularly Western culture. The only challenge that we face in Israel is the, is the history. And as a result of that, uh, bringing the gospel to the Jewish people is more challenging because they feel that uh, so many people have been killed in the name of Christianity or have been forcefully baptized in the Roman Catholic Church during the Inquisition and other periods. And so they really feel that, why should I become a Christian? Why should I believe in, in the name of Jesus, that in His name so many Jewish people have been killed? You anticipated where I wanted to go, because it seems like one of the special problems that you would face is the very intense religio-political feeling that exists around Palestine, around the, the geography, about who's going to be in control. And obviously, it's intertwined with an ancient history, a lot of modern history, and it's very, very intense. And I wonder if that makes people think, well, listen, all this does is create conflict, hatred, division, war, and I just want, I, I want out of the whole thing. I think one of the things that I mentioned earlier about we are starting to see an openness uh, towards the gospel is is actually the result of that. I mean, after almost 60-some years of being a state and going through so many wars and conflicts and bombings and everything, 
Average Israeli feels that he wants to have a quiet and peaceful life, which is hard to get. And if uh, if you had some quietness uh, uh, for some uh, for some time nowadays, Ahmadinejad, uh, the president of Iran, is making it more challenging. Uh, and I think as a result of all of these things, uh, people are starting to ask themselves the question, uh, the real questions of life, you know, where I'm going, uh, what is life all about, and, um, you know, what is, what is there after that? Obviously, in many ways, the institutionalist Judaism does not provide those answers. Uh, and I think that that's why that people are more open. And I think that the media, the Internet, and the fact that uh, many Israelis, particularly after their military service, they travel all around the different parts of the world, particularly in Thailand and South America, they get a lot of exposure to new ideas. And so in some ways, they're also open to the Christianity. And as the church in Israel is growing and as more and more uh, uh, Jewish Christians in Israel are more bolder in terms of their faith, it makes that uh, the gospel more relevant to the Jewish people and to Israelis. Tell us about the work of Hagefen. In Hagefen Publishing, our goal has always been to support the churches in their God-given task of evangelism and discipleship. And in, and to that end, uh, we try to publish various uh, reform books that help the church, first of all, in bringing the gospel to the Israelis, and secondly, to give a good, solid foundation for their faith. One of the challenges that uh, we face in Israel, that it's different than probably most, uh, most countries, is that uh, Israel in many ways is a, is a paradox. Because although we have a long history when it comes to the Old Testament, in the New Testament we have very, very short uh, history. And as a result, there are very, very few books uh, in Hebrew language. People are surprised when I tell them, for example, that there are hardly any commentaries in, the, in Hebrew. We don't have any book on preaching. We don't have any books on systematic theology or introduction to all the New Testament. And so we've set as our goal, for example, in the next 10 years to publish at least one commentary on each of the 66 books. Uh, we are providing the various uh, reform documents, uh, mainly in Hebrew, but at times also in uh, in Russian. Uh, we are providing books uh, for parents, to how to raise their children, and for spouses, how to relate to one another. And it's very interesting because about uh, a year ago, I had a, we had some some friends from Holland that were visiting us. And as we were talking, it was just about the time that we had published the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, which of course is very dear and near to their hearts. And one of them asked me, said, you know, we've been traveling in Israel and we realize that many Israelis actually do speak English. So I don't understand why in Hagefen you're making so much uh, effort in publishing books in Hebrew when people can read in English. And I told him, I said, well, first of all, the fact that, you know, you, some Israelis might be able to communicate with you in English, it's one thing. But to sit down and to read a theological book is a different thing. But that's not really the reason because still it might be still cheaper to teach most uh, Jewish, Christian, Israelis English uh, than to publish books. But the reason that we publish books is that I want to make sure that uh, my children and my grandchildren and their generations, they realize that faith in Jesus is not something foreign to us, but it's something that belongs to our forefathers and that they can read about it in their own language. And that's why we are working hard and various efforts, putting various efforts to publish different books in different areas of the Christian faith in order to make sure that they realize that it belongs to us as much as to any other language or nation. There's something about having the faith in your own language. 
when you're reading it in someone else's language, even if it's a language with which you have considerable familiarity and fluency, there's, as you say, something about having, for example, uh, the scriptures in your in your language and having, you know, important summaries of scripture, like the Heidelberg Catechism, in your own language, because it it says, I'm a part of this. I'm not an outsider. That's exactly true. And I think when we look back at the history of Reformation, when Martin Luther, he made the, the scriptures available to every German-speaking person. And to some degree, we feel that we are doing the same thing, particularly in this uh, project that we've started about uh, almost 12 years ago, where we are translating the Old Testament into modern Hebrew. Because what is happening today is that average Israeli, when they read the Old Testament, probably 50 or 60% of what they read, they can't understand because the language has changed. Yeah, People might assume that Hebrew is Hebrew, but if we just stopped and thought about it, in our own context, if we hand people the authorized version, as beloved as that is, for a lot of folks, it's a very difficult read. It's like handing them Shakespeare. It's, it's archaic and foreign, and it makes the scriptures seem archaic and foreign. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons we started this project was not only to help uh, average Israeli, but, but particularly the children and young people, because when they read this, when you read the scripture and uh, you struggle with understanding what it says, eventually you get tired of it and you put it aside. So we wanted to make sure that we are doing something that would make the scriptures not only available, but something that they would want to read and uh, and. Uh, and love it. And the reason for that is that they can understand it. I mean, if you can understand something, it's hard to uh, appreciate it. And uh, just this this October, hopefully October, November, we would publish the fourth volume, which is uh, the Psalms, Proverbs, and Job. And we're hoping to complete the all of the Old Testament by 2012. We've already done the Pentateuch and the historical books, as well as the prophets. Uh, we're going according to the Jewish uh, order of the books. And if somebody's looking for information about this, they can find it on the web at? www.ha-gefen.org.il. The website is both in Hebrew and in English. You're listening to Office Hours. I'm Scott Clark, and we're talking with David Zadok about Jewish evangelism, about uh, Jewish Christians, about communicating the Reformed faith in the Hebrew language to secular Israelis. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the history of Jewish Christianity in Palestine and in Israel. We'll do that right after this. In the 17th century, John Bunyan gave us the character, Mr. Valiant for Truth. In the 20th century, God gave us another Mr. Valiant for Truth, J. Gresham Machen, the founder of Westminster Seminary. The spirit of Machen lives on at Westminster Seminary, California, where, for 30 years, we've been fulfilling his vision of training men for ministry and preparing them to be expert in the Bible. WSCAL.edu, 888-480-8474, Westminster Seminary, California. For Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. David, a lot of Christians, when they think about national Israel, when they think about Palestine, they think about everything after 1948. Christianity, however, has been in the Middle East, has been in Palestine, has been in Israel, and there have been Israeli and Jewish Christians for a very long time. Talk about the history of Jewish Christianity. 
I think the history in, in many ways uh, is also a paradox because when we read the, uh, the pages of the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, we notice that uh, all of a sudden when some uh, Gentiles uh, started to believe in the God of Israel and in the Messiah of Israel, uh, the Jewish people didn't know what to do with them. In fact, the first council, as we read about in Acts 15, was just about that, what to do with all these Gentiles that all of a sudden started to believe not only in the God of Israel, but in the in the Messiah of Israel. Uh, but we forget about almost 2,000 years afterwards that uh, this faith that we believe in uh, started in the land of Israel, started among the Jewish people. And sometimes when I remind uh, my brothers and sisters that Jesus was born as a Jew, lived as a Jew, and died and raised as a Jew, uh, they kind of are surprised. <laughs> well, that's because all the pictures that we see are ostensibly of Jesus are, you know, he's Swedish, he's African, he's Hawaiian. I've seen all of those different representations. So it's confusing, given the uh, natural inclination we all have to idolatry. We think he looks just like us, when in fact, he probably looks more like you than like me. Uh, I don't know if you look like... <laughs> yeah, I think one of the challenges uh, is that, uh, unfortunately, not only in Israel, but also in the West, we have lost uh, our, uh, our love and desire for history. And uh, to me, that's a sad thing. You know, I think I'm hoping that we can go back uh, to our historical roots and to really know and understand something about... Uh, the history, not only the history of our nation and nations, but particularly the the history of the scriptures that would help us to have a greater appreciation for God's word and its understanding. But of course, today, you know, when we look back and we realize that the, the church is mostly uh, made of Gentiles. In fact, uh, there are some uh, who even believe that, uh, think that Jewish people don't need to hear the gospel because they either saved because of the uh, the Old Testament covenant, or because uh, since uh, since they have rejected the Messiah, then God has rejected them, and therefore we don't need to bring the gospel uh, to them, which to me is the worst crime uh, that we can commit. Jesus died for Jews as well as Gentiles. He saves Jews as well as Gentiles. And in Christ, there is no Jew and no Gentile. But Paul was conscious of the progress of redemptive history. Paul says, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And he didn't say, a, they don't need to hear the gospel because they're Jewish. The Apostle Paul wouldn't know anything about that. That was He would think that was an insane. And B, he doesn't ever think, well, you know, they've rejected Jesus, they crucified Jesus, and therefore they don't need to hear the gospel. It's precisely for those kinds of reasons that he thinks they do need to hear the gospel. Probably more than anyone else, in a sense. And I think, again, going back to history, when we read the page, the, uh, the Old Testament, and we realize the the behavior and the acts of these uh, the Jewish people, we shouldn't be surprised at the time of Jesus that they rejected him. I mean, immediately after they came out of, uh, after we came out of uh, out of Egypt, after all those great and wonderful miracles that God did, uh, the very next day uh, we built an idol, and we said, "This is the God that has brought you out of the land of Egypt." You know, we read to the prophets; they always rejected God, and they always went back to. Idolatry. So we shouldn't be surprised when they rejected it, because again and again, it goes to show us that while we are the covenant breaker, 
God is the covenant keeper, and it's not about how faithful we are to him, but his faithfulness to us. And Paul warns the Gentiles not to get too uppity, not to get snotty, because because he, he's very plain about this. He said, look, uh, if God did this to the Jews, he could do this to the Gentiles as well. So how much more? How much more? And it's not the case that if there were Gentiles who were led out of Egypt and into the wilderness, that we would not have also done exactly the same thing. Because human beings are just sinful, and it doesn't really matter ultimately what your ethnicity is as to, as to uh, how sinful you are. Yeah, well, I think that to me, the uh, just the comparison is we look today at the church uh, at large, and uh, you know I think we can see a, a very similar pattern in terms of the people of Israel in the Old Testament uh, and the church uh, today, uh, and so we see that apostasy. And I think that that's why for Paul it was important not only to warn uh, the the Gentiles about that, but also. Uh, to give us the hope in Romans 11 that he talks about the day that would come where is, all Israel would be saved. And I do believe that he is talking about the ethnic uh, Jewish people. That, uh, And, of course, we don't have time to go into what that all Israel would mean. But I certainly think that it means that uh, there, is a, there is a future hope in terms of the salvation uh, for the Jewish people. And although they have rejected God, God has not rejected him, as Paul again and again reminds us on those three chapters in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And there's a modern history of Israeli believers. And you have a list on your website, right, of rabbis and others who've come to faith in Jesus. Can you tell us a little bit about that modern history? Yeah. Actually, it's not just the modern history. What we started to do is to kind of collect a very short biography of Jewish uh, people and prominent Jewish people that believed in Jesus as their Lord and Messiah in the last 2,000 years, uh, with mainly with two goals. The first goal, of course, is to show to the Jewish people that faith in Jesus is not something foreign, but it's, uh, it's our faith as much as anyone else, and that there has always been people who believed in him as their Messiah, as their Lord and Messiah. And then the second thing, I hope that we would see God's faithfulness to the Jewish people, and then in eventually I do hope that uh, one day if someone would want to do a doctorate work or more in-depth research, we have already provided some of the basic place that they can go from there and, and run with the material. There were some outstanding Jewish converts in the 16th and 17th centuries, and one of them with whom I'm familiar is Emmanuel Tremelius. He was also a Bible translator and a scholar of uh, remarkable learning, Equal, uh, easily one of the more outstanding scholars of this, Christian scholars, Reformed scholars of the 16th and 17th centuries, was a, a converted Jew. So there's a, a Reformation history there, maybe something to which we haven't paid a great deal of attention in you know the last few hundred years, but it's something uh, that exists as part of our background and something now maybe with the kinds of work that you're doing and the uh, opportunities created by the internet and increased mobility and the like, that we can capitalize on that. I do believe that the church needs to have a better understanding of not only of the Jewish roots, but also to realize that throughout the history, 
there has been very prominent Jewish people who have contributed much to not only to the reform faith but in general to Christianity. And in fact, it was very interesting while I was translating the Heidelberg Catechism in Hebrew, you were the one that helped me to find the first Hebrew translation of it that was done in St. Petersburg in 1890 by a Jewish person. So we can see already that in the early centuries also there were not only Jewish uh, Christians, but they were trying to contribute and trying to bring uh, the faith of the forefathers and the faith in the Messiah uh, to the Jewish people by various uh, books and translations and other things that we've done. So we can say that in some ways we as in Hagefen are tracing back uh, and going back to that same history and heritage. Just for fun, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you say part of question one in modern Hebrew? Uh, if someone's listening to this and asking himself, this is saying to himself, this is fantastic. I didn't know about this. I want to help. What can, what can that person do? Well, I think the first thing would be to pray for us. I really believe that prayer is one of the greatest weapons that God has given to us, that we can have an influence and effect on the kingdom wherever we are, in whatever situation we may be. And I think the second thing would be that it's important is to become more aware of what is happening, what God is doing in Israel. I send once every two months a monthly prayer news and update of what is happening and that in itself can be enough. And of course, uh, we we always are in need of uh, support, not just financial support, but also intellectual and uh, encouragement support by people who've who've gone before us, who has a lot more experience than we do in helping us in not only bringing the gospel to the Jewish people, but in helping us to choose the right books to translate and to publish uh, for the Jewish and Israelis. And one of the things I liked that you said early on was that you're about strengthening the congregations, Christian congregations. Sometimes we're so focused on reaching that we forget the other half of the Great Commission, which is teaching and building up those whom God has brought to faith. Well, our task is always, uh, as a church, has to be outward and inward, outward reaching out with the, with the gospel to the, to the lost world. But at the same time, we need to build up those who are of the covenant community, because if we don't do that, then eventually we won't have anyone to, that can bring the gospel to the outside world as well. David, thank you very much. You've been listening to Office Hours. I'm Scott Clark, and we've been talking with David Sadak, who is field director of Christian Witness to Israel. And we began our alumni summer of Office Hours broadcasts with David, and we're closing our alumni summer with this interview with David. So thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Office Hours. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Clark. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. Thanks to Young Me for graphics and Adam Klaus for technical assistance. You can hear all the previous episodes of Office Hours online at wscal.edu slash officehours. Click on Office Hours under Westminster Audio. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to Office Hours in iTunes or at wscal.edu slash officehours. Write us at officehours at wscal.edu. Call us at 760-278-1725. Leave a message and we may use it in a future broadcast. For more information about Office Hours or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online or call us at 888-480-8474. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to our website is preferred.